we are live from the basement that we record from. This is Double Turn Radio. My name is Xavier Heat, wrestling's favorite hothead. And next to me, as always, is my beautiful and lovely co-host. The man with no gimmick, the James Conti. This is War Ready, where we review WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. We are height of the Monday Night Wars. And we are on the week of October 16th, 1995. Yes, episode six. We've got a lot of action. WCW was in the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia, not Albany, New York. Uh, Monday Night Raw was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Again, we get a true, true build for In Your House 4 and Halloween Havoc. But before we get to the action, let's go ahead and plug the social media, sir. Our Twitter is going to be Double Turn Radio. If you take the O at the end of radio and make that a zero, that's how you will find us on Twitter. Our Instagram is going to be Double Underscore Turn Underscore Radio. If you want to find us on Facebook or YouTube, simply type Double Turn Radio. We will pull up. We will be there. And then find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Shout out to Joey Flats, who provides us with the intro and outro of every episode you are tuned in to Double Turn Radio, your number one wrestling audio encyclopedia. Whether you're on the road as a worker or at home as a fan or just somebody that needs their fix of professional wrestling, Double Turn Radio is here to be your plug. Damn right, baby. We are your one-stop shop for professional wrestling. Now, let's get right into the action because, boy, this was a hot one. As I said before, we get some true true build towards both pay-per-views that are coming up for their respective companies in your house four for the WWF and Halloween Havoc for WCW. And I liked it. I liked everything about it. I liked everything that both of these shows brought. Let's get right into the action. Right when we start off in WCW Nitro out of the Albany Civic Center, we see Pepe, who was Halloween-themed. I think he was a vampire. I think he was an alien. <laughs> and, and if you can't get further from two different things as we just did, we're going to have to go back and rewatch. But I'm almost positive he was an alien. And for some reason, or a robot or something I like saw that. a cape. Either way, Bobby Heenan told Mongo to turn that dog around and he saw where the batteries were. Don't know what that meant. A little creepy, Bobby, but it's okay. Hey, it works. Hey, we hyped the show that's coming up. And we also hype that Sting is going to be Ric Flair's partner in their tag match at the main event. Last week, it was not determined who Ric Flair's partner was going to be. It was still undecided. Uh, but they, they reveal that at WCW Pro, which is another show that WCW has that is not WCW Saturday Nights, they showed Ric Flair asking Sting to be his partner come the main event. And Sting says that if Ric Flair crosses him as early as Halloween Havoc, Sting is going to leave Ric Flair dead. So we have, an we have an alliance, but we have an uneasy alliance. Right. And a death threat from Sting. And as we know, Sting has a plan. It might not be a great plan, but he has a plan. Yes. Uh, and he also has history with Ric Flair. Yep. Uh, especially the first m match, technically the first match of 
of WCW Nitro was Sting and Ric Flair for the United States Championship. So they obviously have history. Anyway, first match of this episode of WCW Nitro was barely a match versus DDP Diamond Dallas Page, who was walked out to the ring by Diamond Doll versus Johnny B. Bad. And this was for the WCW Television Championship. And when I say it was barely a match, I mean it didn't fucking happen. Right. Johnny B. Bad was making his entrance, taunting to the crowd, and he gets hit in the yeah, hit from behind by Diamond Dallas Page with the championship. Let's go ahead and talk about where this fucking feud came from real quick because they showed how the beef started and it couldn't get any fucking dumber. So <laughs> Johnny B. Bad a couple of weeks ago was on his way to a show and he got there late. Could not fight for the United States Championship against Sting, if I'm not mistaken, and I have my history right. And it is revealed during a backstage segment that it was Johnny B. Bad who, I'm oh, sorry, it was Diamond Dallas Page and Max Muscle who flattened the tires of Johnny B. Bad so he couldn't make it for the title match. And the reason why we found out was because Johnny B. Bad said that he had a flat tire and Max Muscle's dumbass said, Oh, we flattened all four of your fucking tires. Booking at its finest. Yep. 90s booking Very at 90s. its finest. Very 90s. Yeah, so uh, like you said, DDP hits Johnny B. Bad from behind, knocked him out. Diamond Doll was astonished the whole time. DDP pins him, counts his own pin, and technically, Johnny B. Bad won anyway. Yeah, so he was dis- uh, DDP was disqualified. The pin doesn't count. And DDP fired off a confetti cannon, and he lost. <laughs> In a match that never happened. Great. Second match Sick. of the night. We go right to the second match. Yeah. Second match of the night, we have Eddie Guerrero versus the debuting Chris Benoit. All right. We're going to get right to it. We said it last week. We're going to say it again. This is a fucking trigger warning. We're going to be talking about Chris Benoit in at least a professional capacity. We are not going to be discussing him in a personal capacity. We may give him praise for his wrestling work. So please, either way, if you get fucking offended, just know that we're not being intentional with our offense. Right. Essentially. Yeah. We're not talking about the incident. We're not talking about his life. We're talking about strictly his work as a professional. And this match here was great. Oh, and this is a great match. This is quite literally... You're putting two of the best wrestlers, two best technical wrestlers of all time in the ring against each other. Yes. And they're going to work. They've had multiple matches prior to this, uh, that being Eddie Guerrero as Black Tiger and uh, Chris Benoit wrestling as Pegasus. Wild Pegasus. Yeah, yeah. Wild Pegasus, Pegasus Kid in in that sense as well. Yep. Uh, That was in New Japan. So they have a long history with one another. Uh, and this got furthered, albeit this is the first time that they've wrestled on national television against each other without any mask, without any gimmick associated with them. Damn, this was this was so oh, good. Oh, it was great. Uh, we get a lot of commentary about Chris Benoit being the Canadian crippler. So for those of you who don't know, got that reputation in ECW where he crippled, near-ended near Sabu's in-ring career. Uh, Chris Benoit was very upset about that. Paul Heyman used it to his advantage, and Chris Benoit obviously became known as the Canadian Crippler. So there's a lot about that. Obviously, they're going to tell a whole story because Benoit's a big deal. And it, it, they actually, this is one of the guys who debuted who they made it feel like an, 
a very big deal. Yeah, yeah, and and very early on. So Chris Benoit defeated Eddie Guerrero in eight minutes and thirty six seconds. But we'll go ahead and we'll talk about the match real quick. Then we had a lockup and dead even grappling and chaining with both men, uh, exchanging high flying moves to start the sh- to start the match. Uh, Benoit then powders and Eddie hit goes to the top rope uh, to hit a flying crossbody on Benoit on the outside. Beautifully executed. Yeah, it was. It looked majestic. Picture it was, perfect. It was amazing. Uh, Eddie then gets Benoit back inside. Uh, Benoit recovers and tries to hit a suplex. Uh, Eddie Guerrero hits a standing switch, and they kind of are battling back and forth. But Benoit then gets Eddie outside near the ropes with an attempted side suplex that looked pretty cool too. They both they both went out. over, and it was. I actually thought it was a botch, but it looked pretty much exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah, it, was, it looked like a belly to back suplex. He got caught on the legs of Eddie Guerrero. Looks like he didn't let go and went over as well. Uh, so the action goes back outside. Eddie Guerrero hits Ben uh hits Chris Benoit with a lariat that also hits the post. So now you've got the arm and shoulder of Eddie Guerrero uh, that is going to be worked on because Benoit uh, is back inside with the advantage now. He hits a beautiful hammerlock fisherman suplex and other suplexes to work on Eddie's arm. It was, it was that suplex. I was about was to say there crisp. was a, there was a hammerlock northern light suplex that that's it. It wasn't a fisherman suplex. It was a northern light. Yeah, My apologies. It was incredible. Yeah. So uh, right after this, uh, Eddie starts to uh, you know Eddie's getting worked on just a little bit. Out of nowhere, he goes and he reverses a tilt world backbreaker, and then he hits a second rope leaping DDT onto Chris Benoit, and this is where fucking Mongo ruins this match for me because Mongo says. If you've ever seen a move like that, you've got rocks in your head. Thank you. You're insulting the intelligence of the fan if they've ever seen a move like that before. Thank you. Thank you, Mongo. I, I mean, that's it. That doesn't make any sense. Thank you. Also, fuck you, bye, he's, Mongo. Yeah. He's also, what's it called? He's also, um, throughout the show, he's making these, this match specifically, he's saying that. If you've seen moves like this, you must be from out of this world. Again, playing off his dog's outfit. I don't know. It's so bad. It's so bad. I don't know who I hate more. Mongo McMichael or Jerry the King Lawler. Nah, Jerry Lawler takes the fucking cake to me. Mongo at least says funny, stupid shit. We're going to get to Jerry Lawler in just a little bit because I have something to say about that coming up. Jerry Lawler's just so fucking awful. Nonetheless... Uh, we're still working uh, in the match right now. Uh, so, yeah, after that second rope DDT, um, the exchange hurt Eddie. Uh, so Benoit took advantage of that. Benoit uh, was so smart in, in the ring, uh, you know, throughout the match, definitely showing his ring IQ. Uh, Eddie goes and hits a springboard. Hearn Karana for a quick advantage. He goes for the top rope for a f- frog splash. Benoit gets his knees up. Benoit hits a crazy power bomb that snapped the neck oh of Eddie God. Guerrero on the back of the head. That was one of the hardest power bombs I've ever seen. Yeah, definitely did not pull any punches. I'm not sure if they wanted it like that, but it, that's the way it went. Uh, and then he got a stack for another, for a deep two. Chris Benoit then goes for another power bomb, and Eddie hits. Uh, Eddie reverses it, hits Benoit with his hurt arm. Benoit notices that. 
then hits a dragon suplex on Eddie Guerrero for the pin. So not one man really taking too much advantage over the other. Chris Benoit definitely had the advantage throughout the match once Eddie Guerrero hurt his arm. He was exploiting that. But this match was purely, purely, purely to get Chris Benoit over as a competitor, make him look uh, as strong, if not stronger, than Eddie Guerrero, who has been positioned in a, in a great way as of late. And the commentary team... Uh, announce that there is a cruiserweight division that is coming to WCW, which is why Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero have been featured so much. And this match proved that the cruiserweight division, at least in WCW, has a good future ahead of it. Yeah, it's, so they're bringing in all these guys. Obviously, we know that this is one of the things that WCW did very well in the 90s was feature the smaller guys very heavily and put them on a pedestal to the point where it was extremely you know it they were they were centers of entertainment whereas the, the WWF prior to this and in the in the 80s were very big yeah. men but this is a whole well don't you know again they're the commentary team is going to hype it up like they're doing something brand new but if you look at it this is the transition period in wrestling where because of the steroid trial, because of everything that's going on, the, sh the focus is getting shifted to these guys who are not as big, but are equally as athletic and equally as entertaining. Yeah, and a thousand percent. And you're going to get guys that are going to be coming in in a couple of years, like Rey Mysterio is going to get highlighted. Ultimate Dragon, Ultimate Dragon is going to get highlighted, uh, you know, with Sonny Ono and, and people like that. So the, the cruiserweight division just got put on the map right here, but it's going to be elevated in the years to come for sure. And we are excited to get through that uh next we got mean gene in the ring and he says that uh he heard a rumor on the wcw uh, hotline that a top official is has left uh wwf or the competition as they say and that a superstar fought a fan and lost now we're gonna get to half of that real quick and the other half we're not going to talk about because we want to talk about it when it, when the time comes at least in detail uh so the uh, thing that uh, Mean Gene was talking about, at least in terms of the person leaving the company. So Bill Watts, who was co-running the WWF with Vince McMahon, quit the WWF. If you've listened to our roundup of the Meltzer Report at the end of the podcast, you will know that the kind of influence that Bill Watts had, especially with the emergence of WCW and their strategy change in the WWF as a result of that. Uh, but yeah, it was a big shock that Bill Watts left. The second big thing that happened, we're just going to glance over this real quick, as I said before, because we are going to cover this a little bit more in depth when the time comes, when it is shown on the other side. And that is that Shawn Michaels had an altercation with a U.S. Marine, actually a group of U.S. Marines uh, in Syracuse, New York. That's all we're going to say about it as of right now. Be sure to tune in to the episode where we get to go uh, in depth, which is going to be coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, we've got Mean Gene in the ring. Uh, he starts interviewing the Giant and the Taskmaster uh, once they come out. And uh, Taskmaster says that he's told, I've told everybody I am evil. Thank God. <laughs> Hogan created him. 
Since uh, he said that since he was born, he was the personification of evil. I like the way that Kevin Sullivan talked during this promo. It was, it was a little bit comical, but <laughs> it does the job. Uh, shout out to Kevin Sullivan uh, helping out Coastal Championship Wrestling, and shout out to Coastal Championship Wrestling as well. And Gangrel for training me. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So um, they both, you know, uh, Taskmaster says that uh, they. Uh, tore Hogan's identity from him by shaving off his mustache. And then the giant does a Hogan-esque promo, but heel about uh, the mustache and saying that he is going to push Hogan off of the roof with their monster truck battle that is to come at the beginning of Halloween Havoc. And James is so, so fucking excited for that. After this... Bland-ish promo from both Taskmaster and Hulk Hogan. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Hulk Hogan, Dark, and the Giant. Uh, We get the Disco Inferno again coming out for an unscheduled run-in a fucking again. Third week in a row. Why? We don't fucking care. We didn't care back then. We don't care now. Fuck Disco Inferno. Get him off my fucking screen. That's my point. James, same? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't see. I, I know you don't like him. I don't particularly care or know who he is, and I think he's just Disco Inferno. So, it is what it is. Uh, it's scary that his theme song came on in my gym playlist for some random reason this this past week. But wow, yeah, I had to skip it because like I had like a it was like a list of like old school wrestling themes, and I'm like, I'm listening to some of them. I'm like. Some of these are really bad. And then the Disco Inferno music came on in the middle of a workout. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to turn this off. I was like, I like it, but it's, what's it called? It's, I can't listen to it when I work out. No, I can't. No. Uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, you were going to say something. No, I was going to, I was going to say, we, we were supposed to get Meng coming out, but Disco Inferno came out. Right. So Meng does come out. The, the, no bones about it. Meng, Meng came out and uh, he made his way to the ring. Yeah. Mongo said that if Disco didn't run away, Meng was going to shove a golden spike up his rear end. Sick. <laughs> yeah. I, I, God. Oh, God. So, yeah. So, he's facing the the, the all-American good guy. Hey! Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan is probably one of the most well-known wrestlers from his time period. Winner of the first Royal Rumble. My father... Rem- if my father remembers anybody from wrestling, he talks about Hacksaw Jim Duggan a lot. Uh, so... Dude, I didn't know that Hacksaw was gonna come out, and then Hacksaw came out. I popped so hard. <laughs> I don't know why. I was I really marked out for a second. Because Hacks- I, I technically really like I haven't seen a Hacksaw Jim Duggan match aside from what we've the seen early two thousand shit that he say. was doing and the and the late nineties shit that he was doing, which wasn't peak Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So to see him actually look relatively strong in a match, albeit he lost the match. But to see him like at least go toe to toe with one of these big guys, and I, damn, I was excited. Yep. No, it was it was definitely something to behold because it's not something that I've seen either. I haven't really looked into a lot of hacksaw matches, and uh, without going back and watching this, I honestly probably never would have sought it out. This made me want so, to. It makes me want to too. So maybe at some point we will talk about hacksaw Jim Duggan in depth. Uh, but nonetheless, this is a relatively short match. Can I make a note real quick? Go for it. Meng came out with a cloak that covered his eyes. I don't know how he made it. <laughs> oh, I did I do remember that. I don't yeah. know how he made it out to the ring. Uh, for all my Spanish people out there, he looked like the guy with the cloak in Sabado Gigante. I'm just going to leave it at that. Anyway, 
but yeah, relatively short match. Uh, if you were enjoying Hacksaw Jim Duggan's entrance, I hope you weren't enjoying it for too long because he got jumped before the bell even started. Mm -hmm. uh, the match, and uh, this is the second time we're dealing with this tonight. I almost thought we were not going to see another match after another <laughs> another interference in the middle of a uh, in the middle of an entrance. Uh, the two trade strikes. Uh, Mang initially has the upper hand uh, and chokes Duggan on the ropes. Uh, Duggan regains control, takes Mang down, and uh, he following a slam. Uh, Mang super kicks Duggan, which looked pretty good. And then he holds up his thumb, and I really thought he was about to smoke and spike him, but he did a, a, a sp the spike neck hold, uh, nerve hold, whatever, and it eventually submits Duggan uh, for the for Ma uh, and Mang wins the match. Ah. Uh, I, it was a minute and fifty-two seconds. So yeah, what were you gonna do? I'm gonna give. I'm gonna. I'm gonna point out um, Hacksaw's highlights where he dodged a corner splash. Uh, he hit an elbow drop and then hit a second rope splash as yep, well. Absolutely, that, that was to, to see uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan not being a squash match or not being a two-minute match that does absolutely nothing for him uh, was very good. But yeah, he did his classic KO um, after that. Uh, so yeah, towards the end of the match. All right, so another thing of note, commentary pointed out the fact that Taskmaster did not come out to the ring with Meng, despite that he was in the segment just before that. So we can see where Taskmaster's priorities are lying, and that is with the Giant. Whether that comes into play in the future is hard to tell. Nonetheless, they also talk about, at the end of the match, the relationship between Lex Luger and and the Taskmaster, and to see if that's going to come into uh, uh, effect. Because the ensuing segment after this is a promo from Dark Hogan and Jimmy Black. Sorry, Jimmy Hart. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, well, they are wearing all they black. Are, they are wearing all black. I say it because they're wearing all black, people. Please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hogan says that Don Corleone... Hogan... I Oh, God. The Italian people are going to fuck me up for that one. Don Corleone... Hogan is here to save everyone. He says that the giant has never looked him in the eye. He makes promoters bow before him because Hulkamania is so powerful. Let's and bigger about, than their promotions. Let's talk about Very, that. Very little jab out uh, over there. A little <laughs> blatant, but <laughs> blatant. absolutely blatant. Jab. And was that really the case, though? I mean, like Hulk uh, uh, Hogan did bring ratings to WCW, but his star was kind of dimming at this point. Am I wrong? Well, here's the. Uh, well, I think only because of the steroid trial did his stardom start to drop. Because think about it this way. When Hogan was leaving the WWF, again, there's no doubt in my mind that I... And I say this uh, with the utmost respect to the guys that were around during the era. Without Hogan, I don't think that the WWF takes off the way that it did. So I think that in a way... Hogan has a claim that he was probably bigger than the WWF. That might be a slight exaggeration to garner a little bit of, you know, oh, wow, he just threw a little jab at the WWF there. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, Hogan is absolutely, without a doubt, he's the first megastar in professional wrestling, uh, without a doubt. But um, I think at this time, his star is only dwindling because of the steroid trial, because at this time, he's about to go on, like, at this point, the steroid trial is going on, and they're about to have... I, I don't remember if it happened already or if it's about to happen. Hogan's about to go on the stand or whatever, and he's about to... S if they get him to admit, hey, yeah, I've taken steroids, now how does that look to parents who grew their kids up on Hogan? Kids that look up to Hulk Hogan. So is it dwindling? Yes, but I don't believe that that impacts it, and I think that it just gets more and more because 
we're going to see more of Hogan with yeah, years to come. In the near future. Uh, so, yeah, after this, uh, he says that once he locks up with the Giant in Detroit, he's going to do him worse than what he did to his father. This is when Jimmy Hart gets involved, and he says that he's worried. Uh, but Hogan retorts and says that he better stay out of it. And he says that the Bigfoot people, the people who are making his monster truck, better get his truck right. If not, he's going to break them and then hook himself up to the other monster truck and drag Giant's monster truck out himself. Just a quick note of this. He said he was going to hit or I mean, he said he was going to hit the monster truck people. So that's kind of a, a heelish thing for exactly, Hogan to yeah. do. You're starting to get He's, a little darker. Exactly. You're seeing him tell Jimmy Hart to shut the hell up, you know? So it, it, we're getting the dark side of Hogan. He definitely makes it a point to say it as well. Uh, he says that they're fighting for the destiny of wrestling and the truth that uh, Hulkamania is more powerful than anything on the planet Earth, apparently. Uh, then he says that he's going to bury the giant next to his father. Doesn't make any fucking sense because his father's buried. Andre the Giant's not his father. <laughs> what you going to do, brother, when evil Hulk Hogan comes for you? That's that's the promo. That is the promo. That's, that's, the that's the promo. quite literally the promo. <laughs> and he, I mean, it's cool. I, I didn't. You know, I didn't see any evil come out of Hulk Hogan until the NWO and obviously Hollywood Hulk Hogan that faced The Rock after the fact uh, until that mid-turn, mid-match turn. But uh, I think it was cool to see the seeds get planted for an eventual Hulk Hogan being less campy than what he used to be. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to start seeing the further character development of Hulk Hogan, which in all honesty, it's it's the way that ne it needs to go because... Again, Hulkamania can run forever, I guess, but it needed that. It needed the NWO and that little Hollywood spark to really go to the next level of Hogan's career. Nonetheless, that's the promo, and we go right to our main event, which is Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman versus Ric Flair and Sting? Question mark. <laughs> Flair makes his way out to the ring, and he uh, looks back for... Uh, Sting, but he keeps moving. Pretty much, uh, you know, Arn and Pillman like made it their way out to the ring pretty fast. So then, right, uh, you got Flair making his way out. He he looks back for Sting. Sting is nowhere to be found. Um, the bell has rung, and commentary is confused because it's essentially a two on one at yep. this point. It's become a handicap match at this point. Yeah, and uh, Flair does a pretty damn good job on his own. Yeah, the man. <laughs> Flair's the goat for a reason yeah, because this guy was yep. just slapping people left and right, punching people. He was fighting. He really showed that he was like, man, if I didn't know what professional wrestling was like and I didn't, you know, if I'm just somebody off of the backs of living out of a rock and turning on a TV and seeing this match, I'm thinking that Ric Flair is fighting for his damn life right now and that there are rules to this combat, but they're in a legitimate, like, in a legitimate fight. Um, so, yeah, Ric Flair and Pillman start off the match. This is, you know, a, a rehash of their uh, match two weeks ago. Um, not the rather short steel cage match that we got. And we say short in uh, multiple respects. <laughs> Pillman, Pillman uh, Irish whips Ric Flair uh, into the corner, uh, into Arn Anderson's corner. And then he starts fighting Arn Anderson and Pillman back and forth. Uh, he sends Pillman outside with a chop, and we get a short little reset. 
uh, from there. So really just hard action right from the beginning. Like we said, Ric Flair is, is really fighting. Uh, Pillman gets back in. He sends Ric Flair outside. Uh, and now all three men are outside. Ric Flair then hits Arn Anderson and Pillman. Uh, and then he goes back into gloat. So the plan of Arn Anderson and, and Brian Pillman is not working at this moment in time. Uh, Arn Anderson gets tagged in. There, it's him and Ric Flair that trade shots now. Uh, Arn Anderson goes down. Ric Flair locks in the figure four. Uh, Pillman f- f- goes from the top rope but misses. And then Ric Flair puts Pillman in a figure four, and that gives the opportunity for Arn Anderson to break it up uh, after a short double down. Sting finally runs down for help. It took it's damn about near, time, Sting. I was going to say, it took damn near the whole match for Sting to, to get down there. Um, but it doesn't really matter at first because when he does come in, Pillman is still in control uh, as him and uh, Arn Anderson play keep away with Ric Flair. Uh, to not get to Sting. Ric Flair eventually uh, evades a dropkick for a double down, and that is what creates the hot tag uh, to get Sting in. Crowd's hot for Sting, by the way. Yeah, crowd is super hot for Sting. Sting goes in, crowd goes crazy, Sting goes crazy. Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman are in the corners. They both eat Stinger splashes. Uh, Then Sting sends both men outside and checks on Rick. During Rick... Uh, during this moment, while Rick is checking on, I'm sorry, while Sting is checking on Ric Flair, uh, the ref counted out Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman, which thus gives Sting and Ric Flair the victory in that match. It kind of came out of nowhere. I was almost not, I, I almost felt like I wasn't paying attention and I'm watching it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, why is the bell ringing? Yeah, because and I'm like, cause you don't, it's not, it's not, I guess back in the nineties, the, the count out wasn't as serious dramatic. and dramatic as it is today, but I'm not paying attention so i'm not watching the ref count and then i'm like oh he counted him out hmm so yeah i don't know but yeah uh so yeah we get a after this we get a post-match promo from both sting and rick flair there with me and gene sting said that he was watching in the back to make sure if it was for real and he says that sting ha- uh you know that rick flair has got some guts as if we don't know this already considering he's like a 13-time champion at this point or a 12-time champion or something like that Uh, He says that he believes that Ric Flair is finally on the straight and narrow and that hot and at Halloween Havoc, they're going to battle Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson once again. The writing is on the wall, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the writing is on the fucking walls. It was a great promo from the both of them. Ric Flair made it seem believable that he was, uh, you know, that he was um, uh, on the straight and narrow. Yeah. You know, that. Yeah, exactly. In my opinion, it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if if I was counting on Sting to be my friend, I'd be pretty pissed. But <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. late. Thanks buddy. for agreeing to be my partner and then not showing up for half of it. A little late. A little Just, late. Uh, like, and he said that in the promo, and I was like, he's like, I waited not too long. No, 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 Sting, you waited too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing fine by myself. Um, not sure if it's gonna come up in the Meltzer roundup because I haven't seen it yet. We usually skim through it at the end. Of the show before we tell it to you, but I uh, just want to drop this little gem in here because he was talked about the week before. Uh, five days before this show started, Vader was fired. About time. <laughs> Vader walked out after uh, disagreement creatively, uh, but he is now free to join whatever company he'd like. Obviously, he's going to go jump the ship and go to WWF. It's just a matter of time, but it is 
cool to see that right before this show, pretty much, you know, the five days before this, uh, just a couple, two days after the last uh, WCW Nitro was when they decided to give him the boot. But now we are on to Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw, live from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Don't you dare fucking lie to the fans. This thing ain't live. This is pre-taped. Of course it is, but I'm going off of what McMahon says every single show. So guess what? If I'm lying to you, it's because the big man lied to me. Anyways, we are live. Sorry. We are taped live from Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Grand Center. And we opened with one of the most cringeworthy video packages I have ever watched in my life. Every single participant in this cage match made a dentist reference and i wanted to die the whole way watching it i was like oh my god it was like jerry lawler was involved in the promo and he was like tonight bret hart we're gonna cure your gingivitis and bret hart's like well jerry lawler you're a cavity on the wwf and i'm gonna beat i was like oh my god i was like this is so bad hickory dickory doc the mouse went off the clock <laughs> that's what's happening during these promos we get nursery rhyme fucking promos in the mid 90s oh my god that's how that works yeah so got the video package to open up the show um we get a cage match that is going to be happening later on in the night now i did want to ask you a question before we get into it considering that wcw is live and Raw is pre-taped weeks in advance. Do you think that somebody at WCW, or do you think, because I'm not sure about how the dirt sheets happen. I just want your opinion on this. Do you think that somebody in WCW got a hold of the spoilers for uh, Monday Night Raw 100%. and put the cage match technically at the same, because we're getting cage match main events we're getting a cage match main event this uh, this week, but it was actually announced two weeks ago on a taped Raw, which Nitro was always live for. So it, it's very possible they had the spoilers and they were like, let's do the cage match first. And nonetheless, yes. So that was a notorious thing in, in that I, mean, I but heard. But it's happening at the same time, though, not to interrupt you, because technically, <coughs> sorry, technically the shows are going on at the same time. So you have two cage matches going on simultaneously. True, but I, they probably planned it out in advance, right? And then they so, pulled the trigger on. I I don't know. Listen, it, it, it's no it's no secret that WCW definitely got a hold of spoilers. I mean, we're gonna get into it. Uh, I don't know how long it's gonna take us, but it's gonna take us some time. Eventually, it does spell the end for WCW in terms of uh, the Nielsen ratings. So, with that being said, yes, it's very possible they got a hold of the spoilers. And uh, nonetheless, I mean, it's cool. <clears throat> it's definitely cool that we get like this dueling, you know, immediately we, we get this dueling uh, uh, thing. Yeah. So uh, our first match of the evening, we have Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I almost said Triple H versus Doink the Clown. Obviously, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is Triple H, but we're going to refer to him in his gimmick at this time. Correct. Uh, in the beginning, we get a lockup and a headlock that Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh, lets go because Doink's makeup was rubbing on him. Uh, Doink had a cartoonish offense. He was mi mimicking Hunter Hearst Helmsley's reactions too. Uh, Doink had a sidewalk slam, and he missed an elbow that gave Hunter an adv the advantage. Doink reversed an Irish whip. Uh, with a small package and attempt a second splash missed and get pedigreed for the win by 
Hunter Hearst Elmsley. What we're going to talk about during this time is that Lawler, in the middle of this match, decided that this was the perfect time to talk about what happened uh, with Shawn Michaels at the nightclub in Syracuse. Vince cuts him off and says that we're going to learn about it later. Right. It, it, it was so we we get the hint dropped that Shawn Michaels there was some kind of incident. We don't get all the details. Lawler can't wait to talk about it, so you assume it's negative in terms of what happened to Michaels. And remember, probably around this time because these matches were just probably as short as the WCW matches. At this time, probably if I had to guess, is the same time that Mean Gene is talking about the hotline. And talking about how something happened there, too. So right. simultaneously, you're getting little uh, hints dropped that something is happening with with uh, uh, Shawn Michaels. And we also get uh, a plug for In Your House 4. And Vince says that Helmsley is going to face Fatu at the pay-per-view. So that is a match to look forward to for In Your House 4 as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, Hunter wins in 3 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, so, Doink the Clown is obviously a uh, comedic gimmick, and at that point, you know, we don't expect too much, but I actually thought he wrestled pretty well. I don't think he was that bad as, or, you know, as comedic. Obviously, mm-hmm. we knew he wasn't going over, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I thought he actually wrestled the match pretty well. Yeah, so this is actually, fun fact, this is the last appearance of Ray Apollo as Doink the Clown until his fine, final appearance in the Gimmick Battle Royal at WrestleMania X7. So we don't get to see Ray Apollo as Doink the Clown. Do we get a Doink uh, 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 appearance from now until then? Yes, we mm-hmm. have plenty of Doink appearances, but it is not Ray Apollo. Uh, after this, we see Barry Horowitz backstage with Hakushi. He's trying to Americanize Hakushi by teaching him baseball. And then Horowitz asks him about the great home run hitter for the New York Yankees. Uh, He's pretty much trying to get Hakushi to say Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth talks about Hank Aaron, who at the time was the Major League Baseball leader in career home runs. Uh, This prompted Horowitz to get excited and uh, hug Hakushi. What the fuck did this do? I, I was very confused. I almost I actually have no notes on this. I, I completely forgot this happened. Uh, what the fuck did this do? I, I don't know. I it was it, it was a blink and you missed segment, and I don't know what it accomplished. I couldn't care less about Barry Horowitz when he fucking faced Hunter the week before. Right. I grant he's a good wrestler, but I couldn't give a fuck less about him. He's some jabroni from fucking Jabroni Land. Yeah. Right. And now we got two jabronis from Jabroni Land showing up on the screen talking about baseball. I like baseball. I don't want these fucking jabronis talking about baseball. Nonetheless. We digress. Second match of the evening, we have PG-13 versus the Smoking Guns for the Tag Team Championships. And if you don't know who PG-13 is, fuck, I forgot their names. Uh, JC Wolf, or I'm sorry, JC Ice and Wolfie D. JC Ice and Wolfie D. Yeah, they're facing the guns, uh, Billy and Bart Gun, Daddy Ass, Mr. Ass, whatever you want to call him, the famous ass. The most famous ass. And the winner of the Brawl for All, Barcon. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner of the Brawl for All, 
part gun. Yeah. We're not there yet, but we will. <laughs> we will get there. Because I, I don't actually don't know. Is it is it on the network? I, I have no it idea. It is on the network. Christ. It is on and the network. And we're going to watch it. Yes. It is on <laughs> the network. Wait. We do get it. Uh, yeah. So uh, PG-13 are the USWA Tag Team Champions. Uh, they debuted the week before. They're friends of Jerry Lawler. Pretty much, WWF had no fucking tag teams at the time because all the tag teams were wrapped around in different shit like the main event of the show, uh, that being Mabel and um, Mo, Yokozuna, and Owen Hart. There are fucking tag teams left and right just being occupied by other shit than the tag team championships. Right. And speaking of that, uh, speaking of Yokozuna, it's announced before this match gets underway that because of the situation evolving with The Undertaker, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, the week prior, Undertaker actually suffered an orbital bone fracture, which uh, he's going to need serious recovery because that's a no-joke injury. Uh, and I believe that that, and I was just talking, we were just talking off the air, uh, that that's why The Undertaker starts wearing that half mask that we saw. Uh, I don't know if it's exactly for protective reasons. I heard that there were protective measures taken with the mask, but also to sell that a little bit. But it's announced that Mabel will now face Yokozuna at In Your House. Yeah, and uh, if you want to know just a little bit more about that, definitely go and check out the Joe Rogan podcast where The Undertaker was on, where he talks in depth more about uh, that incident and the other incident where he got his other eye broken because of a certain cruiserweight who we will mention at a later time. Uh, in war ready yep and uh as after that we get right underway uh it's very tough to keep so i my mo my notes may be slightly off but it is tough to keep in mind i know which which gun is which it's the other tag team it's pg-13 i can't tell who's who so if i'm commentating this absolutely wrong trust me it's not my fault <laughs> i mean maybe it is but it's very tough because half the time vince doesn't even know who's in the ring no, not so, at all. And, and you can tell that if the boss of the company has no idea who you are, uh, odds are you're probably not going to be around that long. And they weren't. They weren't. Uh, Wolfie D and Bo Billy Gunn both start the match. Uh, Billy's using his power early, uh, and he voids a double team by, with, by J.C. Ice and Wolfie D, eventually actually causing them to uh, hit one another. Bart Gunn gets tagged in. Same basic concept. It's basically big, two big guys and PG-13. You're going to see that a lot during the match. Uh, but... The PG-13 uses a lot of their athleticism and their quickness to their advantage. Yeah, and every time that uh, PG-13 blocked or evaded a move from either uh, Billy or Bart... They pull they, the Disco Inferno. Exactly. They <laughs> pull the fucking Disco Inferno. They start dancing, but every time they do it, they get beat for it. Yep, exactly. Uh, and like I was saying, one of the things that they showed athleticism on was... Uh, very rarely would you see in this era of wrestling, uh, but a Bart Gunn tried to backdrop J.C. Ice, uh, and J.C. Ice landed on his feet. Again, pulled the Disco Inferno, started dancing, couldn't capitalize. Great. Uh, they start taunting, and it doesn't allow him to capitalize. Bart Gunn gorilla presses J.C. Uh, Ice onto Wolfie D. Billy get, uh, Billy's tagged back in, takes over control. Uh, PG-13 uses an illegal double team, and Bart... And this allows... It was actually a pretty creative spot. I'll give it mm -hmm. to them. Because Billy Gunn's on the outside. Bart goes to chase away one of PG-13. As that's happening, the other one goes around and hits Billy. He goes to chase the other one. So, creative, comedic, yes. Stupid, you be the judge. But, creative, because I don't see... You don't see that very often in tag team wrestling nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's something as 
like that. So, uh, nonetheless, we go back to the action. They get back in the ring, and uh, PG-13's in control as we get back from uh, as we go into the break. Billy Gunn is able to regain control after he catapults uh, one member of PG-13 into the other. Mm-hmm. Smoking guns hit. Very creative double team. I like it. He sent JT Ice into Wolfie D. Thankfully, my notes, I, <laughs> for some fucking oddball reason, I was listening as to who was who. And I tried to pay attention to who the fuck was who. Uh, yep. But yeah. J- so we get a sidewalk slam, leg drop co- from the top rope combination from the smoking guns, which allows the smoking guns to pick up the victory and retain the WWF World Tag Team Championships. Yeah. Uh, that I mean... For what it was worth, it was a good tag team match. Standard. Creative spot or two. You know, you didn't think that the smoking guns were going to lose at all. This was just a way to make them look stronger. Of course. Uh, after that, uh, we get a bit of talk about the 1-2-3 Razor Ramon match. 1-2-3 and Razor... 1-2-3 Kid and Razor Ramon match at uh, In Your House 4. And, that the, and they're mad that it got changed... Um, to a non-title match. So they're facing the tag team uh, uh, champions in the Smoking Guns, but it's going to be a non-title match. So that's cool. That the It's it's interesting to see the relationship of 1-2-3-Kid and Razor Ramon as it's been working through the last couple of weeks, considering they beat the ever-living shit out of each other for the past few weeks prior to that. Um, <clears throat> next, we get something that's very interesting. Uh, first time we've seen this thus far, we get a vignette for a women's match on Monday Night Raw between the women's champion Alondra Blaze and Bertha Faye. I never knew who Bertha Faye was before this. I think it's the other way around. I think at this point, Bertha Faye is actually the oh, women's champion. Oh, sorry. Champion. Yes. Ber- Bertha Faye is the women's champion, and Alondra Blaze is cha- uh, chasing the championship. But yes, we get that match uh, coming up next week. It, very interesting to see because I didn't know who the hell, I didn't even know Bertha Faye was a was a, a thing. Neither did I. Um, v- shades of women's of wrestling though for sure. Uh, then we get a, a video of Doc Hendricks with Jim Cornette and the British Bulldog, and they say uh, that everything was a master plan to try and get to the title. Then we get a video promo of Ahmed Johnson, who Vince says he is a man who had his values together long before there was a million man march. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) this Ahmed Johnson thing comes out and I'm like trying to figure out what the whole purpose of it is. And I'm like, and then it, it, he cut, it was basically about honor and honoring legacy and all that. And I'm like, yeah, and it, but it was just so out of place, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Ahmed Johnson said that his mom worked for minimum wage, but still took him to WWF events, which I found out back in the day was five to eight dollars to get into a WWF event. Fuck me if I w- was there back then, because I would have been at every fucking show I possibly could have. Yeah. Um. So he says that he wrestles for her. So we're obviously getting a vignette for uh, an emerging Ahmed Johnson. He's already wrestled just uh, quite just before this in the past. Um, but he's making his, uh, you know, weekly Monday Night Raw debut and, and his War Ready debut soon enough. And we get some motivation behind that. Um, we go right into the next match. Who the fuck did Dean Douglas wrestle? Joe Dorgan. Joe who? Joe Dorgan. Joe who? Joe Dorgan. Who is Joe Dorgan? Don't know. Don't care. Why don't we pull up? Why don't we pull that up, Jamie? <laughs> Joe Dorgan. Oh, Johnny <laughs> Swinger from TNA. Holy cow. 
That's crazy. I might be yelling right now. I don't care. That's very, very interesting. Johnny Swinger is a very entertaining person in Impact Wrestling right now. Uh, and I had no clue uh, that he was Joe Dorgan. And yep. So that's, wow. who, that's who Dean Douglas is wrestling in this. Joe Dorgan's already a ring in the ring. Dean Douglas is coming out. Very distracting in the middle of this match is the story now coming out about HBK because they also have HBK on the phone during this match. So now we're going to go into the HBK incident. Okay, we're going to go. Oh, man. You want to get through the match first? Do you want to get through the... Through yeah, the, it's okay. a squash match. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll talk about the match real quick. Uh, the, uh, Dean Douglas had uh, started with Greco-Roman to begin with. The, uh, uh, the Joe Dorgan had a, a short comeback but it was no match uh, to Dean. Uh, Dean dominated and won with a bridged fisherman. The match was literally nothing. That's okay. the perfect plex, right? Per I, yeah. I yes. was about to say, I think yeah. it's the same move. Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, that wasn't really the talking point of the match. Obviously, it has to do with HBK because he is supposed to defend the Intercontinental title against... Uh, Joe, uh, I'm sorry, I almost said Joe Douglas. <laughs> Uh, Dean Douglas mm -hmm. uh, on at, in, in your, your house, in your house for. So obviously, this story now coming out about uh, HPK and the nightclub and uh, Nitro's already going on about it. They said if you call the Nitro line, the hotline, uh, they're going to talk about it over there. The WWF does address it. Uh, they with, we'll talk about. I want to talk about that for real quick because right. there is there's the age old adage: there are three sides to every truth. There is that one person, there's party A side, there's party B side, and then there is the, the truth. truth. Now, we may never know the truth because we were never there. But we do have some part of party A, and we do have some part of party B. Now, party B, we'll say, is the WWF's version of, when, of what happened. Now... We all know that history tends to be twisted in some way, shape, or form, and this is of this is the case as well. There are some hints of truth, but of course they are going to embellish this to make it seem like the golden child, that being Shawn Michaels, is not looking weak in the process. So Vince goes and says that Shawn Michaels was attacked outside of a Syracuse nightclub by 10 men and was dragged out of his car. They also said that Shawn Michaels was driven into a parked car by his head and he had both eyes swollen shut. So that is some real, real damage uh, to a person who holds a championship and is scheduled to defend said championship in the near future. So uh, that is the truth that WWF gave. We don't know party A's truth because that would be the Marine that fought Shawn Michaels, but thankfully, we got eyewitness reports. Eyewitness reports are technically not what you, you know, you don't really dispute an eyewitness report uh, if it's an innocent party. Now, this I'm interested in because I, I wasn't sure if this was, uh, there was anything out about it. I didn't look it up. I thought it, honestly, I heard it only on the Raw, and I did, again, I don't look at the Observer report, or, and I didn't put two and two together, I guess, while I was listening to Nitro, so... I don't know, but okay. uh, nonetheless, I, this is I'm interested in, so I haven't heard this yet. Yeah, so um, there 
is one consistent story that is that has went around, and that is that Shawn Michaels, the one, two, three kid, and the British Bulldog were all together traveling as wrestlers do from city to city, state to state when they're performing. And they were at a bar that was connected uh, or, you know, at least in the nearby proximity to the hotel that they were staying at in Binghamton, New York, which is not Syracuse, but it is Binghamton. Um, Now, uh, all the taxis were booked at the end of the night. So the bouncer offered to have his girlfriend drive them back to the hotel at which eight to ten servicemen followed them out of the bar and started some shit with them, throwing homophobic slurs at Shawn Michaels and then punching Waltman into the car. Uh, Shawn got pulled out of the car and had his face smashed into the car and onto the bumper before Bulldog made the save. Uh, Davey, uh, Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, then leg-dived one of the guys who was trying to choke him out. But another serviceman thumbed him in the eye and tried to pull it out. Finally, an undercover cop showed up and pulled a gun on everybody, sending them uh, into the white Ford Bronco that they were in as they fled. This is another story of it that I've heard. I've also heard that Shawn Michaels was extremely drunk in said bar, was harassing a woman, which then got the servicemen to defend said woman, the action, the war of words kind of spilled outside. The action then spilled outside. From what I heard, Davy Boy and the one, two, three kid were already inside the car, and that the servicemen were holding the car doors while Shawn Michaels was getting beat. I don't know. I don't know what the fucking story is. I don't know what the true story is. I don't know what the whole truth and nothing but the truth is, but. The moral of the story is, A, don't fuck with your local servicemen, and B, definitely don't do it if you're about to defend the championship later on in the week. This just shows the trouble that Shawn Michaels was in internally, in his own head, and with his own vices. Uh, It is well known that Shawn Michaels was a party animal and wasn't the most well-liked person in the WWF at this time. So this just proves that his actions and his lifestyle was definitely detrimental to, uh, you know, his career. And this was a a case in point. We may never know the true story. Who knows? Uh, But it is a story that is cemented in time, uh, which may be the beginning of one of the most prolific feuds in professional wrestling. Because, in my opinion, had it not been for this beatdown that Sean got, he would have not dropped the title, which... Bret Hart would have not gotten, which Shawn Michaels would have not feuded for, and it would have not culminated into a wondrous Iron Man match at Survivor Series the year after. Uh, yeah. I think you got a lot confused there. Uh, what's it called? Because they have the Iron Man match at WrestleMania, and it's for the world That's title. That's what I meant. At the point. Damn it. Yeah. So, Montreal Screwdrop. Uh, yeah, there's a lot too. going on. A lot of Bret Shawn is about to go down. That's yes. what's about to happen. So, and it starts from this. Essentially. So with that being said, um, so that's the story. I'm actually, that's pretty wild. Not for, and for the nineties. Yeah. uh, That's about right. (laughs) Exactly. For it, it it was wild to see that so much of a real life storyline forced this to happen. Right. Where it it wasn't something that was just 
built and you know promoted and and pre-planned down the line this is something in real life that happened yeah. that caused a stir in the company right on top of that um they ask Shawn Michaels if he's going to be at in your house he says yes obviously we'll see what happens we know cuz we kind of skimmed ahead uh but nonetheless we know and uh, we get the beginning of the steel cage. Well, not the, the beginning. They start setting up the steel cage. Uh, we get a couple of different promos, two of which I want to bring uh, to light. One of them is a Doc Hendricks merch commercial, which is the most 90s thing I've ever seen in my life. Let's talk about it, buddy. It's awesome. Uh, he plugs the, uh, a shirt that's $20 plus $3 shipping and handling. God, I wish. Because I would own so many more wrestling shirts. But if you order right now, calling the number at the bottom of your screen, again, it's great. Because uh, the WWF censors it, but doesn't leave it out of his mouth. It's uh, 1-800-TITAN-1 or something like that. Nonetheless. And then he says, if you order right now, you get a free WWF uh, WWF VHS tape. Wild. That's crazy. Was it not a... It was an old shirt too, right? Yeah, it was, it was like it was, he said it was it was going soon. Oh, it was the shirt for Minute oh, House the, Three? Yeah, I was about to say it's the it's got the dudes with attitudes on it. Yeah, believe, winner so. take all. That match was featured on there. Yep. Uh, on top of that, like I said, the steel cage is getting set up. We see it, and uh, by the looks of it, by all case in point, it is a uh, it is a far better steel cage than the WCW Nitro cage. Uh, it's not as tall, but. It definitely looks like a steel cage. It doesn't looks, look like a fence. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't know what we're talking about, please go and check out the episode of War Ready from the week before, uh, and and you can get all caught up. We get a promo from Paul Bearer. Uh, he says that Mabel and Yokozuna destroyed The Undertaker and that he's been gone since. And he said that he's coming soon. And even though he'll never be the same, neither will they. Yep. Great promo from yep. Bearer. Oh, 100%. Paul Bearer was always... Over the top, really good at the at the promo game, one of the best. Mm. Uh, but right before that, actually, Goldust also cut a promo uh, hyping up his match uh, with Marty Jannetty at In Your House. It's going to be Gold, Goldust's WWF debut, mm-hmm. uh, so should be interesting because uh, we only know Goldust for the moments that we've seen. Going to be interesting to see why it wasn't taken seriously in the beginning. I can't wait to see him versus Ahmed Johnson because of the absolute potatoes that. Johnson throws at him. I want to see that we get worked up to that. Uh, but yeah, uh, we end the show with our fourth and final match, a rare fourth match from uh, Monday Night Raw with Isaac Yankum, DDS versus Bret Hart. It's so hard not to say DMD. DMD, yeah. Uh, Lawler says that he is the key to victory, maybe literally and figuratively. We'll see. Uh, back and forth action early. Bret Hart was the first to attempt an escape. Uh, uh, Jerry Lawler was flapping his fucking gums on commentary. The whole Is this time. what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, Jerry Lawler sucks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and I, I think it's starting to like, because I watch things from like when I was a kid too, and I'm like, Jerry Lawler wasn't that great. And I'm like, why did I ever say that Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler were the best commentary duo of all time? Was it because of Jim Ross? And I'm starting to think, yeah, it was all Jim Ross. It was because of Jim Ross, and it was because, A, it was the most prolific wrestling at the time. It was the most long... They had with the commentary team that had some of the most longevity in terms of uh, tenure with one another. Uh, so, I, I mean, I can right. see why you would say that they are the best, but JR fucking carried Lawler. Right. Puppies. Oh, 100%. Puppies, yeah. 
but going on to that, actually, what I want to talk about is with Lawler later. Because, okay. yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Gotcha. Uh, a lot of escape attempts and a lot of the same kind of moves to stop escape, escape attempts. Yeah, it, I'm going to yank you. I'm going to throw you I'm back down. You. I'm gonna there punch were a couple, a couple of really times. good ones. There, were, I mean, they both almost did the exact same thing because there was one where Brett was going over the cage. Then he got beeled to the other side of the ring. Same thing happened to uh, Isaac Yankum from the other side. Yeah. So it was almost identical in that regard. Yeah. Uh, the, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Yankum did take some big bumps uh, for... Uh, Brett Hart. Brett actually tried to walk out of the cage uh, at some point, but the ref yes. could not put the key in. And then it was revealed that Jerry Lawler switched the locks. Mm. <laughs> I'm massaging my head, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm so fucking frustrated. The point was that Jerry Lawler was not fucking involved in the match. That was the point. That's what they promoted. Jerry Lawler's not going to be involved because Isaac Yankum is going to fucking lose. And what do we get almost immediately? Jerry Lawler's involved. The fucking stipulation says no Jerry Lawler. We immediately get Jerry Lawler involved again. As fucking always. Yeah, so Jerry Lawler has the other lock. He swapped it at some point. However, it's not like the cage like we have it today where it's already locked. They just set this up. When did he have time to swap the locks? Exactly. They would have had to have they had, had to the have had the key. They would have had to have had the lock unlocked and then lock it. Right. And right or before the fucking key. Right. Right before the match started, they're locking the cage. They had to have had it open. So it makes no sense. But nonetheless, it happens. Yeah. And guess what? If you thought Jerry Lawler was done being involved, mm, he is not. Not at all. Because Bret Hart locks in the sharpshooter on uh, Isaac Yankum. As that's happening, Jerry Lawler is freaking the fuck out. And he's saying, he's going he's gonna to stop his legs from working. He goes, I can't let this happen. Bret Hart starts going over the cage. What happens? Lawler gets up, knocks Bret Hart back down. And almost without even like missing a beat, Gorilla Monsoon is already there. Yeah, he comes out with referees to go and get Jerry Lawler. Uh, Bret climbs the cage, climbs back up the cage. He starts hitting Lawler. Uh, Lawler comes down uh, from the you know from, from the outside. Right. Uh -huh. Lawler gets punched and doesn't fall off the cage. He's like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna climb down now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's get, he gets wrestled by Earl Hebner and a whole host of other referees into the shark cage. This is the part that I have the problem with because I thought, oh great, I'm just gonna hear McMahon for the rest of the match. No, they had a microphone on Lawler the whole time he was in the cage. I feel the same exact way because I had the same. I had the same thought in my head. I was like, "Oh, thank God, we just get Vince." And then I heard, <laughs> and then I heard Lawler, and I'm like, "Why did he bring a microphone with him?" Yeah, they had a microphone with him. Uh, Yankum, as they start raising the cage, Yankum starts beating on Brett uh, Hart. <laughs> Brett and Yankum are fighting on top of the cage. Lawler says he's getting a nosebleed, and you actually see blood start to trickle from the tip of his nose. <laughs> Yankum then hits Brett with a DDT in the middle of the ring. Yankum gets the key, uh, gets the key from 
God damn it. Yankum gets the key from fucking Lawler who drops it from the top of the cage. He's still not done fucking being involved. Exactly. He's so, still not done. So, right. This is now the third time that this man has yep. gotten involved. Fire this man. Yeah. Get, get up this man. Throw him out. Do something because it's not working. But nonetheless, Isaac Yankum gets the key. He goes to the uh, to the chain to the lock. Starts unlocking it. He gets uh, rolled up by Bret Hart. It causes the chain, the lock, and the key to fall into the ring. Bret, who and I'm not gonna lie, I thought he grabbed the lock and threw it at the crowd. I, and then I'm like, oh, thank God, it was just the key. Because could you imagine that man have, had thrown a lock into the crowd? We would be talking about heat on top of. If you thought MJF was getting heat right now for the kid, no. Bret Hart would have gotten heat for throwing a lock into the crowd. Nonetheless, this allows Bret Hart to, to try to go for the door. They get stopped. He hits a bulldog. Oh. He starts pouring it on, and he escapes. That was how it ended. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Lawler is begging to be let down uh, at the end um, to, that, to that fucking That's end it. of the show. Yeah. So Fucking that was pandemonium. Pa pandemonium is right. And you know what the funny thing is? After all this controversy, it was actually a pretty entertaining match. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sure. So let's uh, let's talk about it before we give our um who we thought won. Uh and now that we've talked about it, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh just to go off of the Nielsen ratings for uh, Monday Night Raw at this point. We are on the week, October 16th, 1995. Raw won this week. 2.6 they wow. scored against Nitro, which drew 2.2. Uh, so uh, that's a win on the Nielsen side for Monday Night Raw. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I think Nitro takes this week. Uh, why do you think Nitro takes this week? Uh, I think purely off of the Benoit... Guerrero match in and of itself. Um, other than that, I mean that. I mean maybe it's just because I'm a mark for those two guys working together. But on top of that, their main event was the, the Raw's main event was fine. It was entertaining. Like I said, it was okay. But I mean, there just felt there was a different vibe and energy between the two shows, and I feel like Nitro had the better show. Oh man, are we gonna have to do a coin flip, my friend? No, if you oh, we disagree, we it's a no a contest. We do, a, we do a no contest. Ah, oh, boy. But you can you can feel free oh, to disagree. Boy. I think no. You bring up a good point. Here, here's another thing. PG thirteen. I PG thirteen. But I like that. I didn't I, think that match was bad. I didn't think no, it wasn't a bad match. But what's it called? I'm just saying PG thirteen was like. Kind of, you know. Because I'm thinking about it. Because cause I'm like, I'm trying to stack the card up next to each other. And like DDP versus Johnny B. Bad was barely a match. Oh, well, if we're going purely off of and the matches. And technically, Dean Douglas versus Joe Greco. Or Joe, um, Joe, Joe, Johnny Swinger. <laughs> Dean Douglas versus Johnny Swinger was barely a match. So that nixes it off of. Uh, so that like cancels okay. it out for me, right? And then you got the tag team match with PG-13 and the Smoking Guns. And that is the first, like, decent uh, match of the night. Triple H and Doink the Clown. Uh, I'm sorry, Hunter Hearst and Doink the Clown. I didn't really think was 
that great. I could put that in the same category as Meng I was about to versus say, yeah. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So you've got that canceled out as well. Uh, and then, you know, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, you could definitely say that that was uh, the Isaac Yankum and Bret Hart match of that night. And then you've got the, oh, man, you got the Arn Anderson and the Ric Flair thing. And that kind of just... We're still, uh, that's the thing is, I feel like there was so much shoehorned into Raw because it was the go-home show for their pay-per-view that they're, one, trying to tie up this Isaac Yankum, Bret Hart nonsense. But at the same time, they're switching up their card. They don't have a lot of star power on it. Their biggest stars are all incapacitated for the most part. Their world champion's not there. Uh, doesn't even cut a promo the entire night. But they still night. put, a good, they still put on say, a good show. I'm not saying they didn't put on a good show. I just think that that Benoit Guerrero match was worth the price of admission on, on its own. Plus, the main event, Flair was the GOAT. Flair put on a performance even without Sting. As illogical as that is, let's cho- uh, let's ne- let's negate the illo- the illogical. Uh, Logicalness, the illogicalness of the two main events. Let's chalk that up to both of them being absolutely illogical. I just think that Rick, I, I would have taken. So, like I said, so it, for, I mean, at least I know you took WCW for this. Down to me, it came. It really came down to to story. It comes down to me for story progression. It kind of, and it comes down to me, and me. It comes down to who did a better job of furthering what they're doing and where they're going. And you make a good point that Raw kind of shoehorned things into the show to tie up loose ends heading into In Your House 4. You make a good point of that. And while you make a good point of that, I'm going to say that that is your downfall as to why I'm picking Raw this week. And the reason why I'm picking Raw this week is because... Their lead-in to In Your House 4 satisfied me more than the simple nuances that WCW brought to the table in the respects of the promos. Because you didn't have a great promo by the Taskmaster and the Giant at this point. Yeah, it... It's just them talking to, you know, that it, it's nothing that we haven't heard from before. I'm going to beat you, Hogan. I'm going to throw you off the top of a roof. And Hulk Hogan, granted, it was a different promo than what we've seen out of Hogan. It's the same shit that he's been saying, too. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you where your father was. I'm going to beat you like I beat your dad. If it ain't this, it's going to be that. Hulkamania runs wild. Same old shit. Same old shit, different fucking week. For me, the matches, I would say, yes, the match quality was better for one match, in my opinion. Because, I, yes, the Arn and Rick and Pillman match was good, but does it hold up? Like, to me, that wasn't as good as the... Fuck, to me, it wasn't as good as the PG-13 Smoking Guns match. Damn it. Dare I say it. Dare I fucking say it. It wasn't as good as the PG uh, as the PG-13 Smoking Guns match. I don't... 
I think that the cage match was a little bit more entertaining. So I'm going to go with Raw this week. I know the fans at home are probably disappointed because I picked fucking Raw or because I uh, didn't agree with you. It don't matter. But, like I said, it's, a, it's our opinion. That chalks that up. That's going to be the second no contest of the Monday of our Monday Night War rating segment. That leaves us still with a tie between Raw and WCW. Three to three with two no contests now. And we're about to get in your house for next week is the go home show for Halloween Havoc. We are about to hit the ground run, which means be on the lookout for pay per review for in your house for. Yes, and be on the lookout for all of our impending war-ready episodes. Real quick, we're going to get to the Meltzer Report. We've already talked so much about the Shawn Michaels uh, incident uh, that left him with a couple of black eyes, a uh, separated eyelid, and a bunch of other uh, you know injuries as well. Bill Watts, as we said, quit the... WWF on October 13th after a disagreement with Vince McMahon. Undertaker suffered, suffered a broken orbital bone. That was made mentioned by Paul Bearer a little later on. Uh, Marty Jannetty, uh, because of the Shawn Michaels incident, he was flown in as an emergency replacement for the weekend. Shows that happened. He took Shawn's place against the British Bulldog. And he actually won because back then... The WWF had a policy to put over the substitute baby faces no matter where they were. Uh, Shawn Michaels had previously got into a confrontation with the Harris twins at the Madison Square Garden show on October 5th. And apparently people had to be held outside while uh, Shawn Michaels was fighting some people. So Shawn Michaels was really, really, really causing a lot of drama backstage with a lot of different wrestlers. Uh, the Undertaker, uh, it was a clothesline that hit him and broke his orbital bone. And he actually worked the rest of the week against Isaac Yankum, not realizing the severity of the injury until it became a too painful. And this is the reason why Mabel and Yokozuna are facing each other at... Uh, in your house for uh, moving on to WCW Nitro uh, the uh, Dave mentions that uh, Chris Benoit got men, uh, named the Canadian Crippler we just talked about that uh, Nitro actually beat Raw uh, in quality by the widest margin of its date um, so that was great it was a 2.5 to a 2.2 and uh, Dave, at this point, he starts talking about uh, Flair and Sting. Uh, the original idea proposed that Sting three months ago uh, was going to be in the Horseman. And then they were going to turn on him and Halloween Havoc. Uh, then apparently Lex Luger got into his ear and convinced him that it would make him look stupid if he went through with it. I don't know how the fuck that makes him look stupid. Actually, well, if you if you know anything about WCW, it's um, Sting always looks stupid. Uh, it's something that we're gonna just see a lot of. 
uh, every, every time Sting trusts somebody, mm-hmm. it never works out. That's something that I, I've always known. Uh, and because somebody always made the joke, he's like, at some point, Sting's got to like stop having friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lex Luger pitched that Sting should get turned on, but then escaped the beating, and thus doesn't look stupid. That is fucking stupid in and of itself. Uh, Dave though wanted to have Sting turn on Flair. Uh, because it would create a, a ton of new matches and everybody would be shocked. Uh, but Sting obviously never agreed to it. Um, and then <laughs> there's a rumor at this point saying that the World War Three pay-per-view is going to show a three-ring, 60-man battle royal. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> um. We talked a little bit last week or the week before about Harlem Heat regaining the WCW Tag Team Championships over the American Males. Uh, They redid the match where it happened on October 11th. Uh, So apparently the match was better this time around. And uh, WCW at this point was papering the Halloween Havoc show in Detroit like crazy. They were giving away free ringside tickets to anyone who buys a WCW calling card at 7-11. So that was cool to see a promotion uh, with with them uh, at, at uh, you know, to promote their shows. Uh, uh, elsewhere in WWF, Jim Ross apparently was doing a hokey, oaky gimmick uh, on superstars, and he seemed uncomfortable doing it. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Pretty uh, dry Melter report this week. Um and some backstage news. Yeah, some backstage news, obviously, with Sean. That was interesting to see. And uh, the big the thing with Vader and Bill Watts leaving and, you know, what the dynamic of WWF is going to be uh, from here on out without a major point of their uh, leadership. Huh? Yeah. It's so, like I said, it's all we could TV on, I think, on both ends, regardless of where you look. Um, and like I said, Raw is uh, going into a pay-per-view. WCW is still building to a pay-per-view, but I think we've gotten the gist at this point. We're getting the monster truck mayhem match. We're getting the monster becoming the man, all of that stuff. All good things. And, uh, yeah, so I think that that uh, puts us in a good position to be ready for, uh, not Halloween Havoc, In Your House 4. Yes, In Your House 4, which we are going to be reviewing uh, very shortly, so make sure you go ahead and check that out. Uh, before we go, we just want to go ahead and plug the social media once again. Uh, please go ahead and follow us on any social media site that you uh, have an account for. Twitter, we are at Double Turn Radio. The ending O is going to be a zero. Facebook, Double Turn Radio, plain as day. Instagram is going to be double underscore turn underscore radio. We are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, wherever you like to hear our pretty little voices, we are going to be... And speaking of pretty little voices, Joey Flats, who does the intro and the beginning and end of every single podcast that we present to you, please go ahead and support him. Follow him on Spotify and Apple Music and wherever you like to hear your music. Uh, Let us be your number one audio wrestling encyclopedia, whether you're on the road as a fan, a worker, uh, uh, on the road as a worker on the way to the show as a fan or at home craving just a little bit of wrestling let us be 
your one-stop shop for modern and classic wrestling. Tons of segments that we put out, tons of content. Uh, You'll find out on our social media how much we like to post about wrestling. Uh, So make sure you look out for that. Uh, Yeah, that's been it. My name is Xavier Heat, wrestling's favorite hothead, and as always, has been my beautiful and lovely co-host. The man with no gimmick. The James Conti. This has been Double Turn Radio for wrestling's favorite hothead, Xavier Heat. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye. Bye.